I have, since the beginning of the year, uh, been preaching text that I wanted to kind of help us to rethink, help us to take advantage of the freshness of the year by bringing to mind texts that um, speak of uh, a newness. And so some time ago, I looked at Philippians, I guess three weeks ago, Philippians chapter 3 and verses uh, 10. I want to read those to you again uh, this morning before we proceed. I'm sorry, I do not have the place marked. I have to turn to it. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. uh, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so here's the Apostle Paul talking as if it was up to him to attain the resurrection. What he's saying is he wants to be faithful and labor for the cause of the gospel, looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. And then uh, we also looked at Second Corinthians in chapter 5. Uh, this was his past Lord's Day. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 16 and 17, where we read this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself to give us the ministry of reconciliation. There again, the newness of our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to look uh, at First um, John chapter 3. This again has to do with... Uh, the ultimate end of the Christian, which is the resurrection of the dead and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Start reading in chapter 2 and verse 28. Read down through chapter, uh, verse 3 of chapter 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you might be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we, what we will be has not, been, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in this purifies himself, even as he is pure. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves that you may be able to listen and pay attention to it. And uh, that God would bless his word to us. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Bible are the words of life. And that from the scriptures we are taught the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, O God, for the encouragement that is ours in the scriptures. 
We pray, and now, O Lord, I pray that as we now approach your text, that you would be with us, be with me as I preach. Heavenly Father, help me to preach with passion, unction of your spirit. Be with the congregation, I ask, as they hear that it might be uh, the word is applied to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, it's impossible to live the Christian life without trust. It's impossible to live the Christian life without believing the entirety of Scripture. Because if you don't believe one aspect of the Bible, then you nullify really the gospel. If you don't believe one aspect of the gospel, you nullify the gospel. And as believers, we should rest assured that Christ is going to come back. You remember, even in the first century, there were people asking, well, where is he in his appearing? And what does he say? And the writer says this, he is not slow to keep his promises, but that everyone would come to faith. A thousand days is as a day to the Lord, and a day as a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So here in the epistle of John, John takes us to that day, and as we focus upon the return of Jesus and the certainty of that return, it should influence us as his children. It should encourage us as his children. So many of us live our lives as if this is all there is. You have to think. You have to reason. You have to bring those things to heart and mind, the reality of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's see three things this morning. The first is that our hope as Christians rests upon God's work of adoption. God has brought us into his family. Hope in the life of the believer rests upon, in part, the fact that God has adopted us. And therefore, because he has adopted us, we have hope and we have encouragement. And you look at the reason behind the adoption, it is God's love. He calls upon us to contemplate the love of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And this is an amazing thing. It is amazing in the fact that God is entirely holy. He is entirely righteous. He is entirely perfect. And we're not. Uh, we are entirely sinful. Not as sinful as we possibly can be. But there is no good in us that would cause God to be merciful to us. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot merit redemption. It is something that God does in our lives because he loves us. And the love of God defies logic, does it not? It defies logic. Because we would suppose, we would assume that someone who is just would deal with those who are unjust. That someone who is righteous would deal with those who are unrighteous. And we know from the Bible that God is going to deal with the unrighteous. But then the question becomes, why is it that there are any in the world that God has decided by his wisdom and grace to adopt as his children? It is, as John puts it here, God's love. Who are the guilty ones? You're the guilty ones. I'm the guilty ones before God. And what is displayed in the gospel and the expression of the gospel unto salvation in our lives is the love of God. John 3.16, I quoted it last night. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it is this expression of God that is amazing. 
in the mind of this apostle, John. God's district attorney uh, has pronounced us guilty. And uh, there's nothing that we can do to change that. And it is this marvelous love of God that expresses itself in our lives. Romans 5 and verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Romans chapter 3, 10 and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one is good, not even one. And this may offend some people. It's simply the truth. It's not saying that you're worthless. It's not saying you have no dignity. It's not saying that you have uh, no, uh, you, you bear the image of God. Everyone bears the image of God. We are created in his image. But as far as righteousness, there are none who seek after God. That's not saying that people are not religious. People are religious. If you look at world history, I don't know how many religions have been recorded throughout all of those years, but a lot of them. Because man by nature is religious. But as far as we are concerned, we have embraced the reality of one true God who has redeemed the people to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's love, again, contrary to what we deserve. And listen to what, what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3 as he thinks about this. Ephesians 3 verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father... This is a prayer of the apostle from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. As we contemplate God's love for us, it should be that we are overwhelmed by it as the apostle is here in this writing. John is blown away by it. He is overwhelmed by God's love for us as sinners in this world. And, you know, as you consider your own life, you have sinned against the Lord. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever cheated in business? Have you ever spoken an unkind word to your wife? Have you ever lost your temper with your wife? Have you ever lost your temper with your children? Have you ever loved the things of the world more than the things of God? And the answer to all those is yes. Yes. So we look at our own hearts and we see that we are in desperate need of God's grace. And that is exactly what we experience by his love for us. It is amazing. And what we see here in the text is God's love culminates in adoption. A lot of people these days adopt children. It's a fine thing. Um, I'm too old to adopt anybody. And too tired to adopt anybody. But people do that. Well, consider this. You are a child of the living God. If you're a Christian, you are a child of the living God. As John puts it here in his text, his little epistle. 
see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This is a marvelous thing. In the little catechism, we talked about what is adoption. It says adoption is a grace whereby we are received into the number, brought into the family, and have a right to all the privileges of the children of God. What are the privileges that we have as God's children? Well, for one thing, it is communication with the Lord. There is not a moment in your life, if you're a Christian, when God's doors are shut and it says closed. Never come back again. It's a wonder uh, that uh, he doesn't do that to us. We're so terribly inconsistent uh, in our Christian walk. Al Martin, uh, some of you may know who Al Martin is. I think Al Martin's retired now. He was a Reformed Baptist preacher. He said it was amazing to him that God didn't rend open the heavens and scream, enough. Enough. But yet, because he loves us, because we are his children, because Christ has done a work on our behalf, he always welcomes us into his presence. That's the gift of being one of his children. Another gift of being one of his children is being forgiven for your sins. It says here in the text that we are his children today. Should we are now called the children of God. It's not something that will come in time. It is something that is a reality today. We are his children. You know, uh, and if you have children, you know this. You really find out what love is. When you have a child, you do. I'm not saying I don't love Melinda. I do. I thank God for her. But there's something about seeing a baby born. It's your child. It's just overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Well, as parents, and you know this, you make mistakes. You sometimes perhaps don't discipline when you should. Other times you discipline when you shouldn't. We kind of fly by the seat of our pants, especially the first child. You don't know what you're doing anyway when you have that first child. Kind of a learning process. But God never makes a mistake. And he loves us more than we love our children, more than we love our wives, more than we love our friends, more than we love anything. His love for us is perfect. It's a perfect love. It's not lacking in any way whatsoever. So these are the benefits of what that we are doing right now is worshiping. Preaching is an aspect of worship. And we do so with great confidence, knowing that he accepts us. Know that he welcomes us into his presence. And know that he delights in our worship. Jesus said to the lady at the well, he is looking for such people to worship him. He delights in the worship that his people bring to him. And as all of this is accomplished by God's love for us, as he puts it here in the text. What an amazing expression of God's kindness and God's grace that he loves us with such a deep and great love. This is the best of love. This is the best of love. God will never, ever say to us, I disown you. I disown you. And we know that there are times when he likely was worth, uh, has earned the right, if you will, to say, I disown you. But he never will. This is the amazing thing of David in the Old Testament. 
if there was anybody that messed up, it was King David. I love him. He was a guy of deep passions. When he fought, he fought hard. When he sinned, he sinned big. His passions got the best of him at that point. But here, a man, after God's own heart, that was not after he sinned. It was before he sinned. He was called a man after God's own heart. And so what happened? Well, he had this woman that he saw bathing, and he decided he liked her, wanted to get to meet her, wanted to get to know her, had her brought to the palace. She stayed the night. She goes back home. David's sure everything's okay. No. She was pregnant. You can't have a baby. Oh, that's a big trouble. What's David going to do to keep it hidden? Well, he's going to send for her husband to come home. And he brings her husband into the palace and he gets him drunk. Go go down and be with your wife. He doesn't do that. Uriah, a man of principle, really a man of principle, a man to be admired, faithful in his service to the king. So he sleeps on the porch of the palace. And so David sends him back with a note to give to the general. When fighting is the fierce, go up to the wall and leave Uriah there. And so he's killed. So David, at this point, has done what he can do to cover himself. And he brings her and he marries her and she has a child. Only the child doesn't live. And I've talked to some people about it. I don't know if I've ever said this from the pulpit or not. But I think that little one lived for a while. I think the little one lived long enough for David to hold him, to fall in love with him, to kiss him. And he's afflicted. And it took that affliction and loss of that child to bring David to repentance. That's what it took. His heart was hardened against the Lord. Can you imagine that? This man that wrote the Psalms, this man that was a man after God's own heart, hardened his heart and stayed in that sin and rebellion for a time. It was not until Nathan. He's another one to be admired. David could have had him killed with a word. So you know the story. Nathan comes in and tells David a story about this man who had this big herd of, of sheep. His neighbor had one lamb. He's never fed that lamb. He said it ate from his own cup. He loved the lamb. And the rich man took this poor man's lamb. He killed it and fed it to his guest. So David, infuriated by hearing this, said, that man deserves to die. Nathan, you're the man. Your child's not going to live. He fasted for seven days. Didn't eat. Kept his face to the ground, praying, and the child dies. It took that to bring him to repentance. If you read Psalm 32, that's a psalm, of, a, a penitential psalm. He expresses what he was like when he had hardened his heart. It says his bones melted away. He was afflicted by guilt every single day, and yet he would not let it go until that life-changing event happened to him. And it humbled him. It humbled him. All that time, all that time, God loved him. All that time. When David was hardened against the Lord, when David was not worshiping God, when David wanted nothing to do with God, really, God loved him. 
as much as he ever loved him. Now, was he pleased with him? No. Just like if one of my children did something that was uh, displeasing to me, I didn't quit loving them. So God did not quit loving David as well. Well, the second thing is that uh, our hope of living takes place in a hostile world. As what does John say here? See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Christians are not welcomed by the outside world, by non-believers. Simply not welcomed. Well, why is that? Well, for one thing, they hate Christ. They hate the gospel. They hate the truth of the gospel. They hate to think that they can act in such a way as to displease God. They have to consider that. They hate the fact or the idea that they're accountable to God and that he has a word to say that they have to listen to. People don't like that. What was it that when Cain killed Abel, what does the Bible say why Cain killed him? This is written in Hebrews. He said because Abel's acts were righteous and Cain's were not righteous. And so the righteousness that his brother was expressing brought hatred to him from his brother who murdered him. So as believers who are faithful, we talked about in Sunday school this morning uh, that we are to be salt and light in the world. We are to have a preserving effect. We are to have a looming effect of the gospel and influence upon society. And what Packer said in the opening of his book is we have found that the church is being more influenced by the world uh, than the church influencing the world. The church is taking on characteristics of the world. Well, this is exactly what is not to happen. And if you are going to be faithful to Christ, I think you have to be willing to accept a certain amount of ridicule. Now, we have it pretty good. We don't have people knocking on our doors, taking our Bibles. That happened one time in a church in in history. Uh, I have a copy of the Harvard Classics, and the first one is a biography of uh, Benjamin Franklin. Franklin's grandfather had a Bible underneath the footrest in their home because it was illegal to have a Bible. He would take it out, and he'd read it, and he would put it back again. What would we do if they made it illegal for us to have our Bibles? Would we hand them over willingly, or would we seek to hide them and still read them? We would have to do the former, to be faithful. And so here we are looked down upon by the world. Uh, if you don't believe that, uh, listen to some professors uh, that are atheists. Listen to and uh, read uh, Dawkins' book. See what he has to say about Christians and about faith. So the reason is, as John says here, they did not know him. They did not know Christ. And if we are consistent in our walk and public with our walk, as we should be, they will not like you. They will not want to be with you. If you don't join in their activities that are ungodly 
and that you know God prohibits, then they will not like you or want you. So as we continue on in this new year, I have to preach the rest of it next week. Go through your days recognizing the great love that God has for you. If you're a believer, pray God would give you a sense of that love, a deeper sense of that love. Uh, what, is, what Paul says, it's, it's incomprehensible. It's beyond reason. It's beyond understanding. And it is beyond understanding. If you consider the depth of that love, the ultimate expression of God's love for you and for me is Christ and his work of obedience and death on the cross of Calvary. So when Jesus, when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he said that on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that I'm feeling your wrath upon me at this point? Why is it that in my life right now, I am detested by you and punished by you? And it was because of you and me. That's why. God so loved the world. God so loved his people that he gave his only son to die for them. And it wasn't a slight death that Christ experienced. It wasn't a mild death that Christ, it was terribly painful. And the physical pain that he experienced was nothing compared to the anguish he felt experiencing the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says in the scriptures, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? Redemption. The redemption of his people. That was the joy. Pleasing God and redeeming his people. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame of the cross. To become a sacrifice on our behalf. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? If you don't, I would urge you to come to faith this morning to embrace Christ as he's offered to you in the gospel. And if you are one of his children... Rejoice and marvel. You know, John does not seek to define that love here. He says, look at it and marvel it. Marvel at it. That's what he's saying here. See what kind of love the Father has given us. Then we should be called his children. We don't deserve it. It is all because he loves us so much. Let's pray.